everyone, and welcome to Debating Metal. I'm your host, Kenneth Dean, the Dean of Metal, and along with my co-host, Chris Kay, we discuss and dissect our favorite music, heavy metal. So sit back, relax, pop open a cold one, and let the debate begin. Welcome back. I am Kenneth Dean, a Dean of Metal, with my co-host. Chris K. How are you doing today, Chris? I'm doing well, you? I'm excellent, as always. And today is episode seven of Debating Metal. We're going to go over real quick what we did in episode six, which we spoke about artists living off their legacy. We spoke about Dave Evans from ACDC, Steve Riley from LA Guns, Rod Evans from Deep Purple, Paul Dano from Iron Maiden, and Neil Turbin from Anthrax. That was our main subject last week, so if you didn't catch last week's episode, please download it as soon as you can, because it's some interesting stuff. And we also spoke about the big four sophomore albums. All right, so we got Dean's picks of uh, Ride the Lightning, Metallica, Ozzy with Diary of a Madman, Van Halen 2, uh, I think that's kind of self-explanatory, <laughs> and Saigon Kicks the Lizard, and then my picks of uh, Metallica, Ride the Lightning, number one, uh, Megadeth, Peace Cells, Children of Bottom, Hate Breeder, and Rainbow Rising. Excellent. Those are all great choices, and I think... Uh, Those tough no, choices. They were very tough choices, because there were so many sophomore albums that were so good out there. Today, however, we're going to introduce a new segment, and the segment's called... What should you be listening to? And basically that is... We're going to kind of target albums that maybe got overlooked by a lot of people. Just ones that we found a lot of value in, something interesting, and uh, probably not the top tier, you know, most successful album, but great great albums with great songs nonetheless. So I'm going to start it off real quick by talking about Extreme. Uh, the band with Nuno Bentoncourt and Gary Sharon as their singer. In 1995, they released an album called Waiting for the Punchline. They were towards the end of their recording contract with A&M, I believe, and that this was their last album before they uh, were off the contract. And, it, and there was, so there wasn't too much promotion. This album was excellently produced. The songs are awesome on it. it there's not a lot I could say bad about it. I mean, they had some really good songs, Hip Today, no Respect, Cynical, There Is No God. Those were four excellent songs off that album, as well as a cool instrumental by Nuno called Midnight Express. So that's my choice for what should you be listening to. Um, what do you got? I'm going to go with uh, Judas Priest Jugulator. It's, uh, a lot of people didn't listen to it because it wasn't Rob Halford. But it's an interesting story if you know about how Tim Ripper Owens became part of the band uh, they found him from a cover band that was that was uh, circulating videos. He just he was the right guy. That that doesn't seem unrealistic now with YouTube. You know, they, that, there's I a lot of a lot they, of guys out there like that. Yeah, I believe that's how they found um, Journey's singer or No Potato. Yeah, you know, he came in during a time when they were kind of changing their image, their sound, uh, following up Painkiller, and it's a darker kind of more demonic sound. It's really heavy. It's really good. There's some great songs like Cathedral Spires. I mean, it really shows off his range. Burn in Hell, a fantastic song. The song Jugulator itself. I, I say give it a second listen 
or if you passed it up the first time, give it a first listen. Yeah, so that's what this segment's all about, talking about albums that you may or may not have heard of, you may or may not have uh, seen out there or skipped over or said, you know what, I don't, I don't think it's worth it. Or maybe when they first came out, they were just hard to find. That too. Yeah, sometimes you know, they didn't produce a lot of right. I mean, these records. a lot of these independent records because Judas Priest basically went independent when they went did Jugulator. They were on a, a little label, and then Demolition came out on Atlantic. They yeah. switched labels, so it was it was weird. They had dropped off of Sony, and then you know Sony CBS, and and went almost indie for the for that most. Or maybe most even you're just younger and didn't it weren't around when when the first time it came out, or you know that too. So. We're going to get to our main topic today, and that is bands that re-recorded their albums or songs from their catalog. There's lots to choose from in this category. I know I'm specifically going to speak about certain albums and then hit a few songs here and there. Basically, we're going to touch base on on certain bands that re-recorded their songs or albums. Now, the reason why a lot of these bands are doing this nowadays, and this seems to become a, it's not a new phenomenon, but it's, you know, the full albums or these greatest hits coming out years later. It's not like they're they're switching record companies and, and, you know, after two or three years or two or three albums and and re-recording certain songs. This is years later. I mean, Kiss, we're talking almost 40 years later. Um... You know, Twisted Sister was 20 or 25 year anniversary when yeah. re- we did there. So the reason why they're doing this is for basically royalty sake and for as, the most part and performance few- rights as well. You know, like certain bands can allow their music to be played on commercials or movies and they don't want the record companies to get all the money. They'd rather get it more themselves. And so they re- re-record these songs. Then they're able to basically... Uh, negotiate directly with the movie companies and all that stuff. Bands like Def Leppard, they re-recorded certain songs because they were in a dispute with their record company over royalty rights on digital. So lots of different reasons why. So we're going to speak about some of the better ones and maybe not so good ones. (laughs) (laughs) So Chris, why don't you go ahead and start us off today? All right. Um, so I'm going to start with uh, one that, that's not a full album re-record, but a compilation of the first three albums from this band. That was uh, Arch Enemy. They re-recorded songs from the first three albums with uh, their new singer at the time, Angela Gasso. She retired after 15 years. So oh, wow, okay. It, with, basically what they did was they had a different sound on those first three albums. They had a, a male singer. Uh, Johan Leva, and I apologize if I'm mispronouncing that. I really don't know how. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he had a, a not as much of it like a deathy sound. He didn't growl, and it was it was more of a doom metal kind of sound for the band as a whole. Okay. So when they switched, it really polarized the fans at the time. They a few years later decided, hey, why don't we record all these you know awesome songs that we had before with Angela. So now were these were these songs uh, when they on the first three albums were these were these well known albums for for because obviously they're they're more of a European group so were they more well known like were they big albums for them in Europe yeah yeah in Europe they were for sure okay. but they didn't really hit it internationally until their second album so they okay. their first album didn't even really come out overseas it was with I believe Wrong Again Records 
Whereas everything after that was... Um, right again? <laughs> <laughs> everything after that was with uh, Central Media. Okay, Central so, Media. So, I mean, they had a lot more backing Exposure. from the, yeah. the record company. Right. It, it, what's interesting, too, is it's all the same band, pretty much, except for Charlie D'Angelo, who's on um, the bass. He, he only appeared on their third album. But the rest of it's all the same people that re-recorded except for the singer. So on the on the on the re-recordings, the original bassist came back. No, or no, it's it's Charlie D'Angelo, oh, so but he only appeared on. Okay, so so the original bassist he joined was, on the third album and then kept on from there. Yeah, okay, the, cool. the original bassist was actually Johan. So he he appeared on the first album as vocals and bass. Mm. After that, they replaced him. And what do you think of those songs on the, on the re-recorded version? It's it's almost like a completely different band because they went from, like I said, being more of a doom metal sound to death metal. You know, those the much more attack in the music. It's it's heavier. It's it's re-instrumented. I mean, it's completely different. Okay. So so it's not an apples to apples thing, even though it's all the same songs. Would you consider it better? I prefer it, but I can see why somebody else wouldn't. I, I'm always going to choose the heavier death stuff. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> why? Um, <laughs> I mean, that and that's cool because there's like some of these albums that we're going to talk about. I actually like the re-recorded versions better in some cases. In some cases, in, yeah. In other cases, there's and you'll hear it later. I'm very critical about why, and very critical about how. Mm-hmm. You know, and so it's nice to know in Arch Enemy's case that it's almost an improvement, but at the same time, maybe not. It's just ch- choosing to go in a different direction, I guess you could say. Yeah, and, I mean, and, but it, but taking those old songs and bringing them with them. Yeah, if you know? if you're gonna go see them live, they're gonna play some of those songs, right? You've heard her singing it. I think a lot of people were saying, "Hey, we want to hear these songs." I haven't really heard too much of their live stuff recorded. So it was kind of nice for them to release a studio version of all these songs. Okay, cool. So that's uh, Arch Enemies, um, The Root of All Evil. Okay, cool. All right, I'm going to talk about Kiss and Kiss Classics. This was released as a beat. Well, it was released in Japan first, and then it was released as a bonus disc along with the Sonic Boom record that they put out. And what year was that? I want to say 2010 or 12 or something like that. Okay. And so who's in the band at this point? It's it's the band that is now. It's uh, Paul and Gene with Eric Singer and Tommy Thayer on guitar. Okay. They basically re-recorded um, their greatest hits. They did as good a job as they could to stay true to the original versions, specifically with Rock and Roll All Night. I mean, they didn't do their version the way they do it live. I don't know if you noticed or not, but Rock and Roll All Night, the original version, does not have a guitar solo in it. In concert, they basically improvised, added a guitar solo, and that's what became the hit for them when Alive One broke. So on Alive, it has the guitar solo. Yes, Alive has a guitar solo. Okay, but when you listen to you know, Rock and Roll on the radio, it does not have a guitar solo. If it's the studio version, gotcha. the original studio version. So the re-recorded studio version is exactly the same, and they did everything. That, it was almost note for note a replica. But you could tell there's some sonic differences. Now, they tried to do that throughout the whole album, but there were certain things that they couldn't replicate, such as Do You Love Me and I Love It Loud, because the production on that from the originals, there's, there's something special, like as you say, specifically, like I Love It Loud has that really booming sonic 
quality to the drums yeah that they didn't bother to replicate but at the same time unlike the remix that they did for smashes thrashes and hits these drums try to be loud but it's not like it was for creatures of the night in in 82 and the same thing happened with do you love me i mean bob ezrin's production was really good uh, on destroyer in 1976 but this version is different but it's still good i mean what i like about the album is that in certain cases like uh, i was made for loving you actually sounds harder and that was a disco song for lack of a better yeah, term. yeah i mean it's a straight up disco song right. i didn't even realize for the longest time when i was a kid that that was a kiss song <laughs> exactly well the version that they play now is more is more is harder it's got a little bit of a harder edge the guitars are a little bit more prominent uh, not so compressed and not so flat um the beat it, although it's a it's a similar beat, it's played with drums as opposed to kind of over-processed, almost electronic-type drums. To me, the album is a 50-50. You've got some good reproductions and you got some weaker reproductions for the songs. I like the way the drums are recorded for Detroit Rock City. I like the way I Always Made for Loving You comes across. So, Was it all recorded... For one album, or was it yes. a compilation? Okay, it, it was. It's a it's a it's a compilation album, but it's it's just basically their greatest hits re-recorded. But what I mean is, like, did they sit down and re-record all those in in the same sessions, or was ba- it yeah. gathered from? No, same okay. sessions. Yeah, it was it was it was basically a specific project. Gotcha. So okay. we do that, and essentially, and I and I've heard it before. Rock and Roll Night is is a very licensed song, so I've never seen it in any sporting event or. On any commercial, no, ever. not at all. <laughs> exactly. So, so yeah. So they basically no longer offer the the Universal Music Group version. Mm-hmm. They offer their version now. Mind you, the, what's weird about it is, is that the album did come out through Universal Music Group, but I, I what I believe is that the royalty rate's different. The performance rights are different, so they're getting more money off of this, and that's basically what it is. And Gene Simmons is going to do anything for a cash grab. We all know that. It's not. You know, it's not horrible, but at the same time, you can tell it's not the same. I so, think to the casual listener, they probably don't notice the difference, but to a fan... Right, the casual listener will have no idea. Yeah. And, that, and that's, especially with Rock and Roll Night, because that's how good of a replica they did. But in reality, true fans will know the difference. So what's next on your list? Uh, I wanted to address um, three just individual songs. Okay. Uh, Two from from Guitar Hero Metallica, which was uh, Merciful Fates covers of Evil and Curse the Pharaoh, and then their version of uh, Return of the Vampire from oh, okay. uh, their Return album in the Shadows, right? In the Shadows. Yeah. So the, in two thousand nine, and I'll go in reverse, kind of. In two thousand nine, Guitar Hero Metallica came out. They wanted Merciful Fate. They 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 had a few other bands you know, add songs, guys that, that were influences on them. Mm-hmm. And Merciful Fate was one of them. Lars has been, you know, friends with uh, King, King Diamond for years. So uh, they had him do Evil and Curse of the Pharaoh. They're definitely different. I mean, it's it's 2009 versus, what, 1982, Two. right? Yeah. Not, yeah. It's a long time A ago. long time difference. And so you can definitely hear it in the vocals. Mm-hmm. Um they're good. It's a little more flat and lower tuned than the original, which was very noticeable to me. 
but overall still still really good. Right. Um, I listened to him. Different. Yeah, I listened to him the other day in in, in research of this and. As as much as they try to stay true to the original, especially the the, real, the original timing, and not I can't say sound, but they mm-hmm. try to stay as true to the original as possible. They it doesn't come across that way, you know. Yeah. There's some things. I mean, it sounds like a modern version, which doesn't. It's not bad, but it's you know for lovers of the original versions, they're they're going to sit there and say, "I'd rather hear the originals." Well, it's it's more produced too, and, yes. and there's more effects put onto the vocals. Which, if if you listen to when he gets he hits those high notes like when he's you know under the sign of the the moon mm-hmm. you know you can hear the uh, reverb added to the the vocals right it it's a cool effect but when you listen to the original and you hear just him and his voice and that stark contrast between the growling that he had in those early albums versus the uh, the the high falsetto I mean it's it, it's night and day can definitely hear that that they're kind of covering up a couple things yeah i mean nobody's voice is as strong as it was 20 30 years ago no. uh, and king doing a lot of falsetto especially with the king diamond project you know your voice takes a beating over mm-hmm. the years and uh but i mean the fact that he could still do it is, is oh amazing. it's fantastic but, i mean there's a lot of guys out there that aren't even singing that are just playing backing tracks. So yeah, exactly. So I mean, on something like Merciful Fate. So let's say, let's go back. What would you rate the Arch Enemy like A, B, C, or D as far as quality? I would probably give it a B plus. Okay, so for me, Kiss, the Kiss classics, it's kind of fifty fifty. So I would say it there and say some of the songs are B plus, some of them songs are C minus. Merciful Fate, I would probably give it a, a straight B. In my yeah, opinion, yeah, you know? I agree. So that that one, I, I like them, but I've heard the originals and I like the originals better. Now that being said, I have a completely different feeling about the Return of the Vampire. Okay, the original is just so hollow. You know, it's early, early recording. It's kind of like in comparison to the guitar work that's on their later stuff. It's it's almost just kind of bizarre to me almost demo like right yeah it's i mean uh, yeah obviously it's in Mm -hmm. the early early days so but but it's very simple Mm -hmm. and when they re-recorded it in 1993 uh it sounds just so much fuller there's there's more to it i mean i the best way that you can understand what i'm talking about is to go ahead and listen to it but you can hear there's there's just more it's more robust. Well, okay, yeah, I get that. I get what you're saying. Now, the other thing too about that that version has Lars Ulrich playing drums on it. Yeah, which his which, drums are always pushed to the front. Yeah, I mean, and, you could tell that he was in the recording and he was in the studio when they were mixing it, saying, "Hey, no, no, you need to push that up because <laughs> you could just tell it's Lars playing." Oh yeah, you know, not not because of how distinctly he plays, but because how distinctly he's mixed. <laughs> you know, the mixing in general is better. Yeah. And and the vocals are better. You can hear there's backing vocals as well as the main front vocals. So there it's just a fuller sound. It doesn't it just almost feels like you're you're in an empty room and you're listening to the original version and this just this just hits you a lot harder. That's cool. I mean it it so I you would put that as like an A minus a, B plus, A minus. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, it's, not, a it's not my version. favorite song, but yeah, it's, right. it's an improvement for sure. Exactly, for sure. That's awesome. I'm a big fan of Merciful Fate, and when I heard that version, I was like, oh, I was, I was very surprised because of the uh, 
of Lars on drums, but the, just like you said, the clarity because it it basically brings it from a demo to a full blown reality. Yeah, and it was cool that they brought it back out on the the their return album mm-hmm. after breaking up the first time. Yeah, it, it, it's almost coming full circle for sure. All right, so now I'm going to talk about an album which I don't have a lot of praise for. <laughs> and it, that's going to be Twisted Sisters Still Hungry. Um, Interesting. That album, okay, now mind you, I love the original. Stay Hungry. Stay Hungry, the original, is excellent. I, I pretty much love every song on that album. Now, as far as the re-recording goes, called Still Hungry, I have a lot of qualms about the fact that they say that they're still hungry because you don't hear it in their in in the way it's sung and in the way it's played. Recording wise, so uh, you know, D. Snyder can still sing his butt off, and there's no doubt about it. But his range is not is what it used to be. So a lot of the songs, and I don't know if it's necessary because of his range. Let me let me let me take that back. He might still be able to do it. But because of the way music has changed in general, because of the way heavy metal and all the new different genres play so many songs tuned down, you know, with gent music, with metalcore, everybody's playing in the key of C or D, you know, and in some cases B. I mean, you know, thank you, Korn, for all that. <laughs> Twisted Sister decided to take this album, re-record it, but change the tuning. And it's obvious in certain songs. I mean, there's just no way around it. To you can tell, it is down tuned. You know, so I don't know if it's because D can't do the vocals. I, I think that's a bigger factor. I mean, he's older. Mm-hmm. I mean, his he can't sing the same way he did. Kind of just like what I was saying right. with Merciful Fate. Production wise, the album is outstanding. The songs sound clear. They're very precise. I mean, every instrument you can hear. This, it's not very muddy, but the biggest downfall for the album is Dee's vocals. And the reason why I say that, because as strong as he is as a singer, the angst and the hunger and the, the drive that drove them in 1983, 1984, when, this album was re- uh, when Stay Hungry was released, does not come across 20 years later in 2004 with, uh, with, with you know, we're not going to take it. Just does not have the same emphasis. I can see that on it. I want to rock. Does not have the same attitude in it that it had, you know, back in 1984. Again, can't take anything away from the production. It's it's just the way that the songs come across. It they almost feel tired in the way that they're playing the songs. I do have to say though, a couple of highlights for me on the album are the price and SMF because those songs were still sung. Not with attitude, but specifically, SMF was sung with a little bit more attitude, or, or the same attitude back from back in the day, because that's a song about their fan club and their and their fans. The price is a, is a personal song for them because that's basically talking about the price that they pay to become rock stars. It's a good song. Both of them are very good songs. As I said, the whole album is great songs, but um, those two songs to me stand out, where the rest of them kind of just like don't really hit the target how'd you feel about the new songs on that album some of the new songs were okay there's a funny thing on on the on the bonus tracks there's a song called comeback that's also a re-recording yeah which is weird and i like that version 
Um, I like the original, and I like that version of Comeback. Comeback's a great song. My my biggest problem with Comeback in general is that it drags on for too long. They they need to stop that song. They just keep... I mean, I guess they enjoy playing that riff. The riff is awesome. They just don't know where to end it. And so they they I think they got like five or six verses in that song. It just keeps on going and going and going. It comes back from a guitar solo and keeps on going and going. And so it's a five, almost six minute song when it could have easily been probably a big hit for them if they would have cut it down to three, four minutes. Shorter solo less lyrics and go for it but they never they never actually put it out on any of their records yeah so i i didn't mind that one as much i think it was i had first heard them talk about it but i heard d snyder talking about it before i ever listened to it and he was just talking about how he he wasn't really happy with the recording of the original one right and so you know i think he he wanted to make up for that it was something that he needed or he felt needed to be done yeah, I see the point, but it again, it, the execution is where, to me, everything failed. The production of the first one wasn't that great, and part of the reason why they chose to redo Stay Hungry or Still Hungry is because Atlantic won't release that record to the band. The band owns Under the Blade. The band owns You Can't Stop Rock and Roll. I believe they own Come Out and Play and Love is for Suckers. And basically their entire catalog, except for Stay Hungry. And so they worked with Atlantic to do an anniversary version of Stay Hungry, which has bonus tracks on it, but they wouldn't release it. So they, in order for them to get royalties or higher royalties off of I Want to Rock and We're Not Going to Take It, they re-recorded it. And that's what they offer to the other industries, gotcha. the, the other media industries. So again, not horrible versions but not the best all right so i've got a kind of a different one for uh any black metal fans out there demo war gear they're not your typical death metal i mean sorry they're not your typical black metal band they're a little bit more mainstream and and actually a lot of black metal enthusiasts don't like them for that reason they don't stand up for the uh the typical anti-religion, anti... I mean, I guess they are, but they're not holding true to the original principles of, but I sound, guess, nihilism. and Sound like shit recordings? Yeah, record inside <laughs> of a tin can. Well, um, to me, I actually applaud that because I think a lot... I mean, and, and, you know, again, a lot of these bands don't necessarily want to become famous. They don't necessarily want to be great artists. But at the same time, I think as an artist, you want to get paid for what you do. Oh, yeah. And I think you want to get paid well, you know, and I think it would behoove some of these guys if they would actually put an album out that they recorded in a real studio instead of, you know, in their backyard off of a cassette deck from 1976. Yeah. You know, and it doesn't, I mean, maybe it's, you know, especially nowadays, it doesn't cost that much anymore. It just depends. I mean, the original movement, I kind of understood what they were doing. It was, it was all against the very produced albums that were coming out at the time. It was more of a, a of a attitude thing. And I guess I kind of get that. Uh, I'm not a fan, but, you know, it's just like punk. Punk was not, I mean, none of those guys could play instruments. They were just up there, you know, yelling and screaming. And it was about the attitude. I, mean, I get it. You can still have the attitude and it still sound good, you know? <laughs> I mean, even Venom kind of regrets recording their albums as crappy as they did you mm -hmm. know and that they were the reason why all these other bands do that you know it's like hey look those they did it we can do it too no <laughs> i mean here's a good example celtic frost hellhammer when 
Tom G. Warrior was in Hell, Hellhammer, Thomas Fisher. The albums didn't, the album didn't sound that good. The songs didn't sound that great. So then he goes to do. They still sounded better than most black they, metal they, bands. They did, they did, but yeah. they could. They sounded. They were demos for the most part. But when he got when he got to Celtic Frost, he improved the sound. The drums sound amazing on all those records, and he wanted it to sound good. He wanted it to be a piece of art that people yeah. can remember between the artwork on the album covers, the music, and the way he wrote and did but all the he songs. He wasn't really a black metal guy either. No, avant-garde. But, yeah. but essentially, he's the one who started that movement. He's know, one of them, yeah. He's one of them that started, you know, and it had a lot to do with Hellhammer sounding like crap, that those guys sound that way. You know, but he moved away from that because he wanted some. He wanted his art to be understood, and you can't understand it when it sounds that bad. Yeah. So in 1996, they re or they released Stormblast, and Stormblast was their second album. It was only in Norwegian. It's, it was it was sung in Norwegian. It was sung in Norwegian. Oh wow! And it's indistinguishable. It's it's the typical black metal album. Even even if you could understand it in English, you wouldn't be able to understand it. It's that it's just so now we know screams, how everybody guttural. else feels when <laughs> yeah. we sing in English yeah, exactly. and they're in another country. Yeah. So there was a couple things that when they re-recorded the album in 2005, uh, that they had to change because the keyboard player uh, actually plagiarized two songs and passed them off as his own. So this is from the original? From the original. Oh, okay. So they, they there was one song called uh, Chamber of Sorrow, which was actually from an Amiga game called Agony. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and uh, so he basically ripped off the entire song from beginning to end. And uh, that came out. They were They had a lawsuit over that. The rest of the band had no idea. And they totally agreed to take it off the album. There was there was no complaints from the rest no, of the band. So to take it off the original or the re-recording? On the re-recording. The re-recording. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so it was on the original. So when they went to go do the re-recording, they were they were brought up with this thing that hey, you can't do this song. So yep. they, and they chose not to. Okay. They cool. just they just said we're not gonna touch it. All right, works so, for me. So there was also another song, "All the Light Has Faded," that had a ver- an intro section that was ripped off from a Magnum song, which is a band I never heard of. Uh, it was an English band. It was called uh, "Sacred Hour," and they kind of sound like a cross between Kansas and Queen, which was interesting. I went ahead and listened to the song while I was doing research, and it's kind of cool. So uh, I'm gonna. You know, just check it out a little bit more, but I don't think it's something that just really grabbed my attention all that much, but it's interesting. Well, it's like um, Steve Harris from Iron Maiden. As much of a genius as he is, a lot of the lyrics from Hallowed Be Their Name are lifted from another song. Mm-hmm. Um, they called him out on it many, many years later, and he came to some sort of settle- settlement with them a couple of years ago. Yeah. There's not nothing against... Steve Harris, obviously, because, you know, he has done for Iron Maiden far beyond any of them could have imagined. But it, it just, it strikes me odd that, you know, he would go through something like that, especially that far into his career. And we're talking three or four years deep into the career at this yeah. point to take something and basically expect no one to notice, you know, and, and that's, it was, it's now weird. that's harder because there's so much transfer of information with mm-hmm. the internet. I think it's, 
it's more likely then that nobody would have ever noticed. Right. I than, mean, I, I get now. that. Right. What I find funny is even now, you, you would sit there and see this guy, you know, lifted some keyboard composition from a, a relatively unknown English band. It's like, how did they even know? That's yeah. what I want. It's like, how did, was, was he listening to black metal one day? It's, hey, you never know. Demo Brigier's got the same shit. <laughs> and I'm like, what? You know, I mean, I, somebody I, heard it. I mean, my and, expectation and is that he's, yeah, yeah, somebody he knew was connected somehow. That's the way I see that they got the connection. I mean, probably a fan listening in England that knew this band, right. you know, lit, you know, heard it and goes, hey, that sounds really familiar. Hey, Bobby, look at that song. It's just like yours. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and the difference is you have some bands that just reference other bands, like they'll have something in the song. Mm-hmm. Like Megadeth and Metallica have both done little bits of Merciful Fate. Where right. You, and I'm not talking about the song where they right, did right. all, but, but where do you hear like moments where you're like, hey, that's, that's, that's right, an homage. Right, and that's understandable. Yeah. That's an homage. I mean, that's... But to you know. completely copy the song is right. just unacceptable. No, that's... Uh, that's not right at all. Well, so to continue, mm-hmm. um, what they did was they took their album almost 10 years later and they took it from that sounding like it was from a cassette player in a tunnel. They re-recorded it with more distinguishable lyrics, even though they're in Norwegian and so still you in and Norwegian. I can't understand them. Yeah. Okay. And then, but they're more understandable. You could can hear it and you can hear all the individual parts. And when I when I say like in a tunnel, it, that's what it sounded like. It sounded like they had a recorder on one side of the room, and everyone else was playing on the other side of the room. So the individual parts just mesh together, and it's it's hard to hear what's going on. Mm-hmm. The best way I could say is in, indistinguishable. And this one, it's much more well produced, collaborative effort. It's it's interesting that it, only two members of the original band put this album together. They had other hired guns. Some of them became members of the band. But these guys just came in and helped put the album. And I think that was a big reason for that was that these were the guys that said, hey, we need to take this band in a different direction instead of just doing whatever everybody else does. Right. Well, and that's why they're now more well-known, I guess you could say. They're more successful. More successful. I mean, I don't care how much you want to go against the man, you still want to have more money in your pocket so that you can afford to be more against the man. Yeah, you know? and, and, and not many black metal bands can say they have mainstream crossover appeal. Right. I mean, and and yeah, Demi Borgir is definitely not as famous as, as Iron Maiden, but there's a lot more people than, that know their name than a lot of the other black metal bands. For sure. Okay, so Demi Borgir... That's a I, that's a pretty cool. I didn't realize that they had sang all their other stuff in in, uh, in or the early stuff in Norwegian. I believe it was only the first two albums, and I could be wrong on the first album because I can't listen to that. <laughs> I, I just you you t- I don't even know if there's actual lyrics. I think it's just a guy going for about that, an hour. That reminds me of Dark Throne the first time I heard them. Oh man. Okay, so. Now I'm going to go to an album that I do like. Okay. And, and I like this one a lot. And this is Anthrax's The Greater of Two Evils. Okay. I'm, I'm all up for that. That album is excellent. That's an A, A-plus re-recording of old stuff. And, I completely and, agree. And there's going to be a lot of people that disagree because they'd rather hear the Joey versions. And I get it. You know, Among the Living is a classic album. 
you don't necessarily want to hear another version without Joey. But the problem is, at the time that that album came out, John Bush was their singer. They had fired Joey years earlier. And that's what you were going to hear if you went to go see them live. So now they were putting out an album that was basically their live versions, but done in the studio, done properly, done with the perfect sonics that you can get. That album is produced and recorded excellently. And I think what's really cool about it too is it it's, it fits with what was going on exactly what you said, but it showed that John had the range had had the ability to take those songs and make them his. Yes, because it's not like John came in and did what jo- Joey was doing. He still had his own dis- very distinctive singing style. Oh, for sure, and you can tell, and it fit perfectly. Oh yes, I mean that album. There is an energy on that album that you don't get with other re-recordings. So the opposite. The energy on that one, on Greater of Two Evils, outdoes whatever Twisted Sister tried to do with Still Hungry. Mm-hmm. You could, it, it's night and day. It almost feels like they were brand new. They were reinvigorated. Yeah, it, it almost sounds like it was John Bush's first time with Anthrax as opposed to you know having been there a while. I can see that. That album is just energy top to bottom. I mean, it starts mm-hmm. off with Death Rider and Charlie is playing better than ever. And it it just amazing sound, and so the way John was phrasing everything, there was a lot of emphasis on certain things. There was just a lot, a lot of energy, a lot of angst on the, those types of songs that needed that, which is the complete opposite of you know we're not going to take it. Yeah, we're not going to take it again for the thousandth time. Yeah, that's just the way it came across. You know? I'm like, yeah, we're not going to take still it. Still not going to yeah, take it. Yeah, twenty years later, we're still not taking it, but somehow we're getting paid for it. That's that's the way it felt. You know, but, and the greater of two evils, I mean, man, uh, John, I mean, he killed it. Yeah, there were songs on there that I thought were really cool. Mm -hmm. Um, Like the highlights to me were uh, I Am The Law, just so fit with John. Oh, yeah. It it really did. Anything that came off of Among the Living, Spreading the Disease, he just, he sang with like so much gusto that it was just, it just really cool. I think the only one that I would sit there and say, maybe not out of anything, was Indians. I think there's something personal and deep with Indians on from Joey. I think so, too. You know, that's the only one I could think of that maybe there was no connection to for, for, for John. But even though he still sings it with a lot of enthusiasm, but I think Joey, because he's part Native and that had something to do with it, I think there was a little bit better connection with Joey and on that song. I think every band kind of has that song that... Or not every, necessarily every band, but every singer has that song that they just connect with on such a personal level mm-hmm. that there's very few others that can come in. Like, say, for instance, uh, Nine Inch Nails did that, uh, what's the, uh, Hurt? Hurt. And then anybody else singing that song probably wouldn't have had the same impact as Johnny Cash singing it. Oh, Johnny Cash version, it's... I like it it, better. Way, way better. It hurts to hear it because it's so deep. It cuts. I mean, it literally cuts through your skin. It cuts through your bones, and it goes deep Mm -hmm. into your soul. An amazing version. So so most of the time, you're not going to have somebody come in and sing your song and have that much emotion behind it. Mm -hmm. And, you know... I think you're right in saying that John didn't really capture that with right. Indians. But he, but Death Rider? Oh, for sure. Amazing. I think AIR and Be All, End All were also very good highlights. NFL was a, was a highlight to NFL me, too. NFL was good, too. 
So, so yeah, so that that album definitely, in my opinion, obviously in your opinion, is an A A plus version uh, of those classic songs. Unfortunately, that album has been deleted from their catalog because John's no longer in the band, and since Joey's back, it makes no sense. Yeah. So for those who do have it and still can get it. If it's available in, in your you area, you can find you, it on YouTube. I mean, you can see it on Amazon. I mean, to purchase it, you can still get it on Amazon. You can still get certain things, but it's you know, it's not it's not in new production whatsoever. Yeah, so, and it's not streaming either. No, and it's not yeah. streaming. So, so that's uh, it's unfortunate, but at the same time, it's it's uh, it's a great album. So if you if you can go out there and get it, get it and listen to it, it's really really good. And what's really really interesting to me too is that. You know, like a lot of times when somebody joins a band and by the time they leave, you know, that last album just doesn't quite have the punch. John came in like a lion and left like a lion. Oh, yeah. I mean, We Come For You All is an amazing final statement. I don't think he thought it was going to be the final statement at the time, but they, I think they had finally gotten their career back on track. Mm-hmm. And when they came out with that album, I mean, I think Greater, The Greater of Two Evils was the beginning of that because that came first. Then We've Come For You All came came next oh, yeah. and that album is is incredible it, it it's not a full thrash album like they went back to with with joey but they definitely had a lot of thrash elements but they they went across the board on and in, in their heavy metal ways for antics that was a great album but we're not talking about that so <laughs> so why don't we talk about the uh iron maiden re-recordings with bruce dickinson okay so Charlotte the Harlot and Prowler were released on the Evil That Men Do single. Uh, I don't like them. You don't like I them don't at like all? Them. Nope. Really? I'm not a big fan of them. And that's funny. I listen to them and I have them on my iPod or my iPhone, whatever you want to call it. And I, they're in my playlist. Is it because of the guitar sound? It's horrible. I, 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 I was not a fan of the whole guitar synthesizer sound that they did. I mean, I like the songs. I mean, Somewhere Time's a good album. And then when they did more of it on Seventh Son, I wasn't a fan. But at the same time, I like the songs. I like Iron Maiden. Can't take away anything from the way the albums were, were, the songs were done. The songs are great. Could they, in my opinion, have been better produced? Probably. You know, that was what was going on at the time. Everybody was going in that direction. Iron Maiden went in that direction. I'm not going to, you know, harp on it. I just didn't like those re-recordings because of that. See, I really like those re-recordings because I love Bruce's vocals on the, the. I mean, just what he brought to the table, I didn't expect with specifically with Charlotte the Harlot, you know, singing soft parts. Just didn't I didn't expect that out of Bruce. I guess you know okay. I knew he has a dynamic range, but he's always so like right up in your face. So like singing with every bit of air in his lungs mm-hmm. that it was interesting to hear that, you know, what Paul does. Right, right, right. Like I, I would love to hear him do the whole first Iron Maiden album. You know, now that you mentioned that, I, I wonder if, cause I know that supposedly Remember every maiden, every maiden song has been re-recorded, but I have never heard Bruce do strange world. Mm-hmm. That's, that would be one that I would be interested in hearing. Cause that's definitely a, a Paul's voice, and that's I believe that's his song. Yeah, and there, there's so. something different when you hear it on the live versions. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're never going to capture that same clearness right. that comes out of singing it in a studio version. No, of course not. So hearing those other versions, it's cool. But the something about re- hearing the re-recordings with the clarity 
mm-hmm. is just awesome. I just what what I dislike about those songs is is the synthesized guitars, the compressed sound, the over reverb on the vocals. I mean, when you hear when you get to the end of the song, you just hear it echo out for think, so long. I think Prowler I just, sounded worse. Yeah. Than than Charlotte the Harlot did. I haven't heard With Charlotte in a long time. Yeah. Um, Prowler I heard recently because I was listening to Talking Maiden podcast like I always do. <laughs> Shout out to you guys again. Uh, when I listen to their, that version, I mean, when you listen to Prowler, that's the first thing you put on when you hear Iron Maiden's first album. I mean, that guitar is right in your face. And it's not right in your face on the re-recording. And that's what I don't like. Whereas in the opposite, Wrathchild is an excellent version to me, in my opinion. It's really good. I mean, I like the way Bruce sang it. I love, you know, the the... I believe he did a better version than Paul. Some people at the Talking Maiden podcast are going to disagree with me because they might get, yeah, they might give me some down a mean email. But <laughs> I like Bruce's vocals better than than Paul's version. I um, I like, I mean, I like Bruce better than Paul in general. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I love both. Um, I I tend to think with Wrathchild, he just brought so much energy to it that it was it was just phenomenal it was a good statement for him to when he came back to the band you know to knock out that song mm-hmm. because of partially because of the way the lyrics are and you it, know, it, it i'm going to find my man i'm going to travel around you know i mean what have they become since then you know this basically world traveling band which they were beforehand but now they do it because you know bruce dickinson can fly him around and it just showed also that he he was willing to do what was right for the band. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it's not all about, Hey, I'm only going to sing the songs that I sang. You know, he's never been like that. Oh, he even no, sings the blaze songs. So, oh yeah. I mean, he's a team player and, and I love that about Bruce. Some of these other guys, you know, we just mentioned Joy Bella Donna won't do any of the John Bush stuff. No, he, he that, and I think that's wrong because that's a good, it's a great era of the band. And some of those songs, Joey probably could do really well. That's his ego sitting in the way. And that's another thing. I mean, as much as Bruce has his ego, because every person absolutely, and every musician specifically have their ego, he puts it aside for the, for the greater good of Iron Maiden. That's what Bruce brings to the table. He, he puts his ego aside. And I don't even know if it's, it puts his ego aside so much as he allows his ego to be able to do those things, which is for the greater good of the band. For good or bad, it works out well. I, I think like it's re- good. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. I, mean, I, I we, like Wrathchild. I don't like the other two so much. I mean, so. we loved seeing his versions of the Blaze songs when we oh, went to that, see. Those were excellent. Yeah. I mean, he made Sign of the Cross and he made the Klansman his own. Specifically, I think he really, really adopted the Klansman. Yeah, his versions of those songs, of those Blaze songs are excellent. Uh, so, where are we moving on to now? Let's see. Testament. Their first strike, still deadly album. The re-recording of their fir- of hits off of the first two albums. So similar to Arch Enemy, they went in and took songs from their first two albums instead of three, and re-recorded them with basically modern equipment. I liked those songs. I was listening to it on the way home today. Loved those songs so much better than the original versions from The Legacy and The New Order. They just sound so much better. The, the The musicianship is so much better. It's the same guys too. That's and that's not exactly. So you got Chuck, you got Eric Peterson, and you have Alex Skolnick. But bass player and the drummer 
are different. Well, the rhythm section. The rhythm but section. We've kind of discussed this in the past right. where the rhythm section doesn't always determine the sound of the band. And you've got the main songwriters, the, the vocalist, mm-hmm. the two guitarists there present. That's what I mean by the same guys. Right. You're, you're not having a completely different singer like what I mentioned with, with Arch Enemy. Right, with right, no, exactly. Not only changing the, the style of singing, but the, the, the uh, gender of the singer. <laughs> yeah, that, so what you're going to like about the, the First Strike Still Deadly version is that Steve DiGiorgio played bass on that album. Now, John Tempest is the drummer. John Tempest, to me, is a better drummer than the original. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. I listened to some of the songs and the way they broke them down, and he plays them differently. Obviously, every drummer is going to play something differently, but he ha- he adds to it where it's played in a modern way. So Thrash back in '87, you know, in the '80s had a certain drum style. There was it wasn't all about double drums, but it was about making it sound like it was double bass drums. Excuse me, double bass. It wasn't all about double bass, but it the the way drums were played in thrash music or are played is that it almost sounds like it's double bass, but it really isn't. And between how fast the snare and the bass drum play off each other, John Tempesta on this album plays the double bass, does a lot of double bass fills, a lot of triplet fills that make the song sound so much better. It's almost what you expect. Yeah, they're fuller. Kind of like what I was saying with... uh with Merciful Fate, where the, it, there's just there's a much more robust sound mm-hmm. yeah. on it. And plus, you know, the fact that it's produced, it's produced with modern technology. Yeah. Um, there's better recording techniques that they used. Back then, you know, they were very low budget. Go into the studio, boom, this is my guy, he's going to record it for you, and thank you very much. And, you know? and Chuck Billy's voice has changed tremendously over yeah. the years. He, he's, he's definitely has a stronger voice now. Than he used to, in my yeah. opinion. No, and, and what what my notes say here is Chuck Billy offers more of an uh, his now now that he uses more distinct growling in mm-hmm. his songs, he added that to those songs. So there's, there's a, a deeper roughness to his voice, yeah. a, you know, gruff if you want, if you will, that the early versions didn't have that edge to them. Where these songs have the edge. I mean, these songs are much better, yeah, than than the originals. And Steve DiGiorgio is a fantastic bassist i mean he, oh, yeah. he's this fretless bassist has has just this acute knowledge of music and can really he, he i mean if you look at his his discography who he's played with he can fit into a lot of different situations and he fits in really well with testament and and he's currently in the band now mm-hmm. so i mean they have excellent musicians because they have gene hoglin as their drummer and there's not too many who can play drums like gene they have yeah they have a portion of death in their, yeah, in exactly, their yeah. exactly. So that I give that album an A in terms of being re-recorded. Um, what else do you have? So uh, why don't we talk about White Snake with a couple of their re-recorded songs? I like that. All right, so um, we got Here I Go Again, probably the most recognizable White Snake song. Uh, I could be wrong, but I, I'm pretty sure that's the that's the one. Um, I think the uh, general fan. Yeah, for sure. Here I Go Again is pretty much... The music video, everybody mm-hmm. recognizes it. So what I guess what most people may not know is that it was re-recorded from its original version on Saints and Sinners. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's different about it is that it's got a little bit different lyrics, uh, mostly cha- uh, changed due to um, a recommendation from changing the, the lyric of, like, a hobo, I was born to walk alone, to... 
like a drifter, I was born to walk alone. Yeah, so we won't confuse it like I was confused for so long with Homo. And um, that, that's a direct quote from from, uh, from David Coverdale. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> nothing wrong with it either way. I just, I, for whatever reason, I thought it was Homo for the longest time. And, and that's exactly why Dave changed the song, changed like, the lyric. It, it's a nicer sounding, like a drifter. Right. It just, it flows better too than Hobo. Yeah, it, it, it's not so specific. Yeah. You know, Hobo or Homo, whichever one. It's not as specific <laughs> as Drifter. Drifter's pretty cool. And, and, it, and it flows well with the song. Uh, it's, it's it sounds more elegant lyrically mm-hmm. as well. I mean, it just it, you took an old song, kind of like what Kiss did, where they they're taking older songs and re-recording them with a with a newer sound, bringing it to a wider audience as well. Mm-hmm. And and it just it just makes sense. And they do it on their their big album uh, that's breaking into America. You, they, you already hit them with with slide it in. Now this is the the White Snake self-titled album right and it's it's now they're finally hitting their stride in the u.s oh for sure not only did they redo here i go again they also redid crying in the rain crying in the rain is an excellent song um very blues based song so it's uh it's and it's a killer version the the version that was on saints and sinners was really bluesy and John Sykes wasn't big on that, so he changed it a little bit more to kind of make it a hard rock blues song as opposed as opposed to a, a regular blues song. Yeah, he's, he's more of a shredder, and you can definitely tell that in <laughs> yeah, this version sure. of the song. Yeah, no, Crying in the Rain is excellent. I mean, the whole album is great. I would equate it to if you're a Judas Priest fan, when you listen to the old original albums versus Unleashed in the East, Unleashed had more of a, a metal sound to it. Mm-hmm. You can definitely tell, like, the guitars are tuned differently. The vocals are stronger. It feels that same way when you take that from the original to the newer recording. Very similar to what we kind of mentioned earlier with, with Kiss Alive. And, you know, the first three albums, the production wasn't there as good, but Kiss Alive, the songs, the energy of the songs were so different. Mm-hmm. The recording version of the songs were so different. It, it made such a huge difference in their career, obviously. It's kind of like um, you're watching an old TV show and you watch like the first season where they're still trying to feel out and figure out their characters. Mm-hmm. And then by like the, the third season, they're kind of hitting their stride. Right. That's how some of these albums, I mean, these re-recordings feel is where they started out and they, they're definitely that band. But once they figured out all these facets and maybe switched out a member or two that wasn't their strongest link, you know, they, they re-record them and they sound so much better. For sure. Whitesnake also did, so they so they had success with Here I Go Again. They had success with Crying in the Rain. Not the same type of success because Here I Go Again is just a, a, a worldwide smash. They record a new album, the follow-up to the Whitesnake 1987 album, Slip of the Tongue. And they basically go back into their catalog again and pull out another song, this time Fool for Your Lovin', and they re-recorded that version. Again, that was from 1980, Ready and Willin' album, and they re-recorded it for Slip of the Tongue. Steve Vai was on guitar this time. Yeah, full change in band yeah, so the whole, from the previous The album. whole 1987 video band that toured is now the band that's on, on Slip of the yes. Tongue. But they changed... Vivian Campbell, because he left, to, I believe, to go join Def Leppard, and they brought in Steve Vai. So they had Steve Vai and Adrian Vandenberg. And Adrian was hurt um, during the recording of the album, so Steve Vai, I think, did most of the recording. 
uh, Adrian injured his hand and so could not record the album. But he shows up in the videos because he was part of the band. But that happens a lot, and maybe that's something we should talk about in the future. Is Injured players? Well, not, not necessarily that, but players that are featured in videos that, that aren't necessarily... Rui Sarzo. <laughs> it's on everything. And on nothing at the same time. Or Vinnie Vincent Invasion with Robert Fleshman, and uh, he's singing and, the vocals, right. and, and Mark Slaughter you know, appearing in the video. That's true. That's true. So yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff out there. Well, White Snake, what what's interesting about them at the time is they, you know, they were just breaking into America, so they had this kind of big back catalog, kind of like Scorpions, of where some of their stuff wasn't as widely known, and they could go back and they could take these songs and make them new again because it was to a new audience. I I think they were successful at it. I mean, I I really like Fool for Your Love, and what was funny about that song when I heard it. When I heard that song from on Slip of the Tongue for the first time, I said to myself, I've heard this song before. Now, mind you, I didn't have anything prior to slide it in from, from White Snake. But for whatever reason, that song rang a bell with me. And I believe it's because I had I had heard it before, obviously, but I didn't know where. Then when I listened to the original version, I still couldn't recognize where I heard it before because I was like, well, this is not exactly what I thought because it's much slower version but it's still it kind of has a different it's got a cool beat and rhythm to it but it's not the same as the way they played it on slip of the tongue it was still a recognizable song so i was like i've heard this before so they did a good job on those three songs and uh i i have no complaints but that's a different those re-recordings were different than the way we did we've been talking about these albums that were re-recorded for financial reasons yeah, it was it was to push their their they had good material, but they were trying to break into America, mm-hmm. and that was uh, that was the necessary thing. Like they needed to, you know, write new songs, but they had this stuff that was good. It just needed a, a little right better production know, yeah. or or you know just a, a fine tuning, just a little bit more. So now we're gonna go over a few songs and, and to end this segment. One version, very similar thing, uh, a band re-recorded a song that was in their back catalog, but I think unlike the White Snake where they did a great improvement on it, White Lion, another white band from the 80s, <laughs> and you know, along with Great White and White Tiger and all those other types of bands, the White Animals, <laughs> White Lion took Broken Heart and re-recorded it for their main attraction album. Broken Heart was released on their first album, Fight to Survive, such a better version on Fight to Survive than what was ended up on the debacle of Main Attraction. And it, it, and when I say debacle, is because beginning to end, the album was just riddled with problems. It was more about the record company, Vito Brado losing faith in, in the music business and stuff like that, and the band was falling apart. So Broken Heart, excellent song. If anyone's got the Fight to Survive version, it's so much better than the main attraction version. So take a listen to it. I give the the new version a C, C minus, maybe even a D, <laughs> but because the original is so much better. That's really too bad. It, it, it's a, it but is it a shame. Happens, yeah. You know, I mean, they had a hit with uh, with Radar Love, and I just think they were trying to capture something that just wasn't there and the record company didn't know what to do with them they were i think the record company screwed up white lion's career more than white lion screwed up their career now, i'm not super familiar with with white lion you said radar love 
That's, that's a that's golden the, the golden ears. Yeah, they okay. re-recorded it. They had a, a semi hit with that when okay. they re-recorded it. I believe it was for. Uh, I can't. I don't think it was main attraction, but I I could be wrong. It was after their Pride album. They came out with their version of Radar Love. So White Lion did Broken Heart re-recorded one of their hits. Another band that re-recorded one of their hit singles was Deep Purple. On the 20th anniversary of the release of their first album, Shades of Deep Purple, they they had a hit single with Hush. Yeah, yeah I knew you had to be talking about Hush. Yeah, actually that was the only thing from, yeah. from back then. So 20 years later, the Mark II version of the band had reunited because they were, had already broken up twice. Um, so, you know, um, they reunited for the Perfect Strangers album. And then they had um, the, um, I can't remember the name of the album, their second album. They put out a live rec- record called Nobody's Perfect, which is basically from that tour. And at the end of it, they released Hush, or they re- re-recorded Hush live in the studio, and basically to mark the 20th anniversary of the original release. Much better version. Ian Gillen on vocals and Roger Glover on bass. I'm looking through the... the- discography of uh deep purple and and her remembering that they have 438 albums <laughs> <laughs> and and about 400 of them are live <laughs> yeah so hush they're, they're, the mark ii version is so much better this the second album after perfect strangers was house of blue light house of blue light there right. you go when they did those two records those were the reunion albums they were on tour they re they released nobody's perfect live album celebrating that they recorded Hush at the end. It was live in the studio. And they did it, and it, it for whatever reason, um, it was noted that the re-recorded version is a live jam that was recorded at Hook End Recording Studios in England. Hook End's claim to fame is that they are the most luxurious recording studio in England. So there you have that. All right, so White Lion, Deep Purple. Um, I got two bands left to talk about, and we'll talk about them real quick. One... Um, not necessarily on our radar on a regular basis, but Pearl Jam re-released a song that was released the year before. And oddly enough, what was what was odd about that was it was a hit for them. It was a single. They re- re-recorded Evenflow a year later with their new drummer um, because their original drummer who recorded the, the their debut album, 10, left before the album uh, was released. After it was recorded, before it was released. The new drummer recorded the re-recorded version while they were doing new songs for the movie Singles that came out in 1992, I believe, or 93. That version that was recorded ended up being the version that was on the video that was put on MTV and ended up being the UK single. Um, It was not the original version. And then on the greatest hits called Rearview Mirror, that was the version that was released to the public on their greatest hits. So... They almost almost negated the version that was on the original album ten. So that was a, a an interesting tidbit with that song. We recorded one year later or two technically because I think the album was recorded in ninety and then released in ninety one. Well, I mean that happens with with bands that are early in their career sometimes. Yeah, a lot of times when you have a demo or, or an EP release, you'll you'll take one or two songs from that. And some of the, some of the bands released on a compilation like Metallica did. Right, with, uh, hit the lights. Hit the lights exactly with Metal yeah. Massacre. So speaking of Metallica, thank you. Nice segue there. You like that? Now I ruined it. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> no, Metallica 
One of the few times that they've ever re-recorded a version of, of song. So they did it for, for Hit the Lights. And that was more because they went from a demo. Yeah, version. they were breaking I mean, in. They I mean, were literally the first thing they ever recorded. And then they even re-recorded that so that they can have better version on the, re, the re-releases of Metal I mean, It was Master. a good song and they only had so much material. So. Right. They had none. That was the only <laughs> song they had. <laughs> no, I mean when re-recording it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, um, Orion was re-recorded by the band... Um, for the release of the Through the Never soundtrack. And that was done in 2012 in Canada. It was during a sound check. It is uh, shown at the end of the movie, Through the Never. It is an excellent version. It is basically paying homage to Cliff. Robert does an excellent version, or an excellent job on Cliff's parts during that song. To me, that version, I like it a little bit better than the, the Master of Puppets version. Because it is so clear. It's recorded the way Metallica records now. So the the instruments are... There's not a lot of muddying of the parts. Uh, Master Puppets, is, as well as it was recorded back then, this was done in Metallica style now. And, and now there's such a distinct difference between each guitar, the bass, and the drums. So I, I like it. And since there's no vocals, you only have those four parts. So, we've, we've completed our topic of the day, and it is now time for the Big Four. And our Big Four for this week is going to be Big Four title tracks. So, for instance, Metallica, Master of Puppets, or Ride the Lightning, or Injustice for All, so forth. What- Shout out to Matt. Yeah, because Matt loves the fact that I talk about Metallica. I can't go an episode without mentioning Metallica, Metallica, (laughs) Metallica. So, what do you got for your big four title tracks? Still on the fence. (laughs) This is a tough one. It's okay. So It can be tough. This one, I I usually don't have a problem putting down the big four, and I'm usually the one that comes up with the the concept of which, you know, what what we're going to do for a big four. And I feel like I screwed myself on this one because <laughs> well, I, I feel like I'm going to leave something important out. I, I think we do that every time because it's, it, the, the, it's so tough to come up with these four songs or four, you know, not four pieces on the subject. You know, mm-hmm. what, what we consider the best sophomore albums from last week. I mean, there's so many good sophomore albums there's so out many. there. And we had to pick four that we thought were our, our favorite. But somehow I didn't have trouble condensing down that and you were complaining about it and i'm sitting here like this is no problem and this week i'm like yeah now you know how i feel but i had the same problem too i mean i spent two three hours last night working on this list the list is like a hundred band a (laughs) hundred titles and i have to narrow it down to four i mean some of them are obvious i'm not going to have judas priest rockarola as my number one (laughs) (laughs) or Two or three or four. And there's one guy out there listening to this going, damn it. Damn. <laughs> Why not? They're dissing Rockarola. There's a lot to diss. But <laughs> so, so let, what's your Let four? me start with an honorable mention only because it's, it's not spelled the same way. Okay. <laughs> and that's Raining Blood. Oh, you know, I, I, I threw that out for a technicality. I didn't want to yeah, put that in Yeah, that's why I threw it out. It's not <laughs> in my list because it's Rain in Blood. And the song's raining blood, so right. yeah, it just kind of gets thrown out. But it's such an awesome song. Yes, it so is. I got to awesome shout song. it out. 
All right. So number four. Let me go with number four, and I got to go with my gut on this one, and that's ACDC Let There Be Rock. Ooh, I like that. I like it. It's, you know, the first time I heard it, it's just, it never stops from beginning to end. Uh, it's, it's just such a fun song. I love the video. I mean, that was the first thing I saw. The first time I heard the song was through the video. I was watching VH1 or something like that with classic videos. It was so fun to watch. I love Bon Scott. He's, he, you know, he's just the facial expressions he has, everything about, you know, his stage presence was there in that video. That was and, a cool video. Yeah. I and mean, it, just the whole, the whole concept. In a church. In a church, a biblical take, a a rock and roll take on a biblical thing. Mm. It's really, really cool because just the way they came up with the thing, you know, let there be light, let there be sound, let there be drums, let there be guitar, let there be rock. You know, it was super cool. It's simple lyrics, but it's just, you know, it's piecing it together, giving you this this is the simple makeup of what it is. And, you know, God came down and gave us rock and roll. And he did. Just like Kiss said. <laughs> yeah, yeah, God gave rock and roll. And that was somebody else's song. So, you know, that's also my number four, by the way. Oh, really? Yeah, Let There Be okay. Rock was my number four. All right. So, again, we don't talk about this before no, we, we do this. So it's interesting how sometimes we have the same thing. So number three, oof, this is tough because I... Feel like I'm gonna leave something else out, but uh, I'm gonna go with Dio Mob Rules. Mob Rules, okay. There's a lot. Well, that's not Dio. That's Black Sabbath. Oh, that you're you're right. Well, it's Dio. Ronnie James Black Dio singing yeah. Black Sabbath. Yes. I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yes, Black Sabbath Mob Rules. That is just one of those songs that just smacks you right in the face. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the first time I heard it. I played it over and over again probably about 20 times because it was just such a cool song. It's an awesome song. And, and, you know, to lead off the album, and actually there was that little, was it E5150, mm-hmm. I think is, is, the, is the intro, that yeah. little digital sounding thing. But the, the mob rules to, to kick off an album like that, that was just like Well, it starts slap, off slap. with Turn Up the Night. Oh, um, that's right. That's right. And Turn Up the Night is a, is a good song. It's a, it, you know, it gets you going. You're following up probably my favorite Black Sabbath album, which is Heaven and Hell. Mm-hmm. So it's got a lot to live which up to. Which is another excellent title track. It is. And it was hard for me not to pick that one, too. <laughs> so There are so many good ones out there. There really are. Um, so it was. It, this was a, a tough one. It just... It, I don't like Mob Rules as much as, as Heaven and Hell as a whole. But that song... Raises it pretty close. You don't, you don't like Mob Rules, the album. Yeah, as, as much, much as, as Heaven, Heaven and Hell okay. as, as an album. Yeah. Okay. Um, so number two, gotta go with Megadeth Peace Cells. All right. Peace keep, Cells, but who who's buying? That keeps popping up. Yeah, it's probably my favorite Megadeth song. There's just there's so much to it. There's that. What do you mean? I don't believe in God. What do you you know? All these expectations of who you are as a person, Mm -hmm. and that to me, as a kid growing up, you know, with long hair and you know sideburns down to my chin, and you know, just people's expectations of who I was. I am you know just them thinking you know you're not this and you're not that. It was such a meaningful song to me growing up. So I just had to pick it. I mean it. It's still even to this day, people's expectations of you, they're they're not who you are. Mm-hmm. You need to always remember that. I used to dress in, in black jeans 
in a leather jacket, and I would go to a store, and I would get followed. My hair was not really that long at the time, but it was kinky and long, and, and I would, you know, as soon as I walked into a store, I would start getting followed up and down the aisles because they thought I was going to Oh, yeah, I had something. the same you know, experience my, anytime I went to a record store. My ex-brother-in-law used to think that there was no way I never did drugs or, or alcohol. I didn't drink. I never drank anything, any hard liquor until later on with him. <laughs> and uh, But I drank beer, but I wasn't in, uh, a beer drinker. And I didn't smoke, and I didn't do drugs. Never done drugs. You're like a Run DMC album there. <laughs> I'm just saying it. Just, I'm, you know, that's just been me. I, I've that was a choice I made, and I've made it, you know, consciously, and then never had any qualms about it. People's everyone else, perceptions of no, you. everyone yeah. else thought that I did, you know, everything in the book, you know, because I wore a leather jacket, had long hair, and listened to heavy metal. Perceptions and and things, you know, can be wrong. So, what is your number one? Number one. Painkiller Judas Priest. Painkiller Judas And I had no Judas problem Priest. picking that one. Oh, jeez. <laughs> it's my favorite Judas Priest album. It's my favorite Judas Priest song. Don't have any issue picking that as number one. It's Listen to the drums at the beginning of that song. And when I heard that, having listened to everything else by Judas Priest that I had at that time, that I've said this before and I'll say it again, it blew my mind. Because Scott Travis coming in, replacing... Uh, Dave Holland. Dave Holland. It's just the world's well, apart. The, that's like it's like going from an infant to an adult overnight. You yeah. know, I mean, Dave Holland can keep a beat, but he couldn't play what Scott played. You know? Oh yeah, yeah. It was, it was just it was in your face. It was painful to to make a pun there. I mean, it was just it just. Yeah, it punched you. It yeah. punched you. And, and and the lyrics are cool. The imagery on the album was cool. The painkiller, you know, riding a motorcycle, flying over a giant crevasse and, you know, lava shooting everywhere. And he's saying, you know, the metal melting and, you know, all these all this imagery that he's bringing to you with his lyrics. It just, it, you know, I felt like a, like a metal savior out there, you know, riding a dragon, you know, saving the world, you know. All right. Um, I'm going to do something here that I haven't done before. I am making a change on the fly on my on my top you're, four. You're following my because if you look well, at my list, it, they never match no, what I, I say. Well, <laughs> well, I I I, uh, I said before that Let There Be Rock was my number four. Okay, I, I'm I'm changing I'm changing my my number four. All right, so you you had an honorable mention. My honorable mention is Iron Maiden's Number of the Beast. Okay, um, that was an amazing way to introduce Bruce to the Iron Maiden fans and and uh and the heavy metal world in general um incredible album incredible song so that's my honorable mention now i had number four let there be rock from acdc but somehow some way i completely forgot about a song i really 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 like and it's gotta come from your gut so i get it 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 i really like this song cowboys from hell from pantera Okay, look, <laughs> look at my list and tell me what's listed as number three. <laughs> Cowboys from Hell. That song, I mean, I can I can never listen to another Pantera album again. I have to listen to that song. Mm-hmm. That song oh, yeah. is amazing. Um, I love that song. Oddly enough, it is my second favorite Pantera song because I'm Broken is my favorite Pantera song. But as for a title track, Cowboys from Hell, hands down, my number four. 
Okay, I had to, I had to put that in. I had to change it, and I, I I struggled with it, and I forgot all about it today when I was looking over my list. So number four is Cowboys from Hell from Pantera. My number three, and this is going to be a lot of people are going to think this is out there, but not for me. Kiss Creatures of the Night. Kiss had gone through a really rough period with Dynasty, Unmasked, and then The Elder. It's weird. They had this huge smash hit with I Was Made for Loving You. After coming off of Kiss Alive 2 when I got introduced to them at 8 years old, and it went downhill so fast. I mean, and, and I, I was on board. I was stuck in the snowball. You know, I was on board for the disco. I was on board for the light stuff. And then I was on board for whatever the hell the elder was. And I'm, I'm, I'm there. I'm trying to grab trees and limbs and stuff as I'm rolling downhill with that snowball. And then they came out with Creatures of the Night. Not only was the song good, but just the way it was produced with that bombastic drum sound, it, it that was one of those things that, that punched you in the face and said, hey, this is Kiss. We're back. We're a rock and roll band. And that was Eric Carr on the drums. And that was right? Eric Carr on drums. And I, I think Eric Carr couldn't have been happier with the way that came out. Unfortunately, because so many fans were already disenfranchised with Kiss, the album didn't do as good as it should have because that is one excellent Kiss album. To me, it's better than any of the platinum albums that they did in the 80s. That is, a, top to bottom, is, is an excellent album. And that's the first one with Vinnie Vincent? That's even the though, one. Even yeah. though he's not. Right. Vinnie Vincent's not on there, so he, he recorded all the guitar parts. Oddly enough, he did not record the guitar solo on Creatures of the Night. That was done by Rick Derringer. Oh, yeah, that's right. So that song, that album, was an amazing comeback for Kiss. Um, so that's my number three. My number two goes with my number one favorite guitar player. Diary of a Madman from Ozzy Osbourne. That it's song, an excellent choice, I mean, yeah. that that song, and like I said, growing up, this song creeped me out. The more and more that I learned about how good Randy was, the more and more that I learned about how he put that song together, and and the fact that he wanted to learn classical and was was actually taking lessons at the time to put that all in there. And like I said before, when we talked about that album that was a culmination of everything that he had learned and put together and, and and just to me the climax of his career was that song it's too bad that it was exactly so that's my number two so my number one and matt i hope you uh don't get mad at me but it's metallica master of puppets oh, i thought you were gonna say saint anger <laughs> i was close no i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> no master of puppets i mean hands down is a masterpiece of a song and that's great and so you know any of these songs that we pick you know are going to be great usually most of them are some sort of masterpiece for that band master of puppets was is right up there with with the best of them all when you define i mean you can go to a hundred different websites or or compilation or or greatest or best of lists uh, when it comes to heavy metal albums Master of Puppets is a top three heavy metal album of all time on almost every list across the board, if not number one on most every single one. That song itself, an eight-minute um, journey through a the mind of a drug addict, and it's it's pretty amazing song. So, oh yeah, it's, it, on an interesting side note, um, uh, my my parents, you know, questioned a lot of the stuff that I would I did. When I was when I was you know growing up and and 
I always wanted to know the, what the reasons were I liked something. Never judging, never saying, you know, don't do that. But, you know, why Why do you like this? And I remember having a conversation with my mom about Master of Puppets and explaining what the song was about, and she actually sat and listened to it. She goes, oh, well, that's pretty interesting. Yeah. And it was, it was cool to see somebody that has a little bit of judgment and saying, you know, I don't like this. It's okay that you listen to it, but I don't like it. And then really listen to the lyrics and it kind of changed their mind. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those songs that it transcends as much as Enter Sandman is their big crossover hit. A lot of people know Master Puppets. And even if they're not a Metallica fan, and my, my friend actually became a fan of the song because of, uh, um, old school. <laughs> okay. Because it, it, it plays when they're taking all the kids. They've got a van. They're driving around mm-hmm. and they're they're picking up all their pledges. Right. And and it's it's the song that's playing. Yeah. I mean, even Anthrax sampled it for "I'm the Man." It's it's a it's a pretty cool song. So that was our big four title tracks. Um, my my top four, Chris's top four. We spoke about bands that re-recorded full albums or songs. Chris, tell them where they can find Debating Metal. So you can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Podbean, or wherever you consume your metal podcasts. If you enjoyed our show and agreed with our opinions or just want to rip us a new one, check us out on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Or you can email us at debatingmetal at gmail.com. That's it for us. I'm Chris K, and on behalf of Kenneth Dean, we'll see you next week. See ya. See ya.